Thank you for joining us for part two of Elisa Lewis. Don't forget to go back and listen to part one where we listen to how Elisa Lewis got started in the animation business. And now, on to the show, already in progress. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is the Above Average Joe Show, and Elisa Lewis is with us, the animator from Archer. Well, not the animator. One of the animators from Archer. She does not single-handedly. The one animator. (laughs) (laughs) And we are going to take a little bit of a turn, and instead of talking about animation again, we are going to talk a little bit more about something more personal to you, which is your life as a hippie. Yes. Or your love, hippie loves. <laughs> Things that you love being hippie-ish. My love child love. <laughs> <laughs> and so we talked about this a little bit last week, and everything about it just, I wouldn't say overwhelmed me, but it was, there was so much information and so much knowledge of stuff that I've never even heard of <laughs> that it intrigued me. That's a good word for it. It was very intriguing having that conversation. So let's recreate the conversation <laughs> as best as we can. Um, but you love everything hippie. You love foraging. You love psychosomatic experiences. Um, you have bacteria growing in a closet in your house that you have adorably named Stephen. <laughs> so let's talk about all of this. <laughs> and... Yeah, let's just talk, let's just dive right in. I will say, it definitely started when I was younger. Um, I've always had this curiosity about the world, and what made the world what it is. Like, what about the plants, and the rocks, and the, the little bugs, and all of that. My mother, she used to garden. She comes from Guyana, and she had, you know, a house in the city, and then a house in the farmland area. And when she would go to the farm on the weekends, and sometimes in the summer... She would, you know, tend to animals and, like, do large-scale, you know, crop share stuff. And she brought a lot of that into raising us around plants and understanding that plants are food. They're also a great representative of the cycle of life, is that sometimes you have to get rid of the old to make room for the new. And, um how roots interact with each other. I don't want to get too technical with it, but I'll just say that they're a great example, in my opinion, of cycles of life and cycles in society. I I always was mesmerized by it. The fact that you could go outside and just start eating things and that you could live out here and that there were other things that could complement you and entertain you and be friends with you. Um, Like, I'm talking about the little critters and stuff. (laughs) So I definitely was the kid who would dig for worms and look for fossils and try to build a civilization (laughs) in the backyard. And I took a lot of that with me into adulthood. I didn't have as much of an appreciation for what I consumed when I was, uh, you know, my middle school and high school years. I was eating, you know, junk food. But when I got to college, I really learned that food was life and that it literally was what I would become. So people would say, you are what you eat. And I thought, oh, that's cute. But what I consumed would affect my body and interact with my cells in a way that I literally was what I was eating. So I started thinking more about uh, nutrition and how life continues even after things are picked and um, preservation and how important it is to preserve things properly. I got really big into rustic living, thinking about how do people used to, you know, preserve their food? How do they survive? How did they adapt with the 
the things in their region to really thrive as a society. And then that rolled into um, me trying to get connected with my own community in like a village kind of sense. And I started <laughs> meeting up with people who are in communes. And no surprise, people in communes love gardening. They love, you know, tapping into how we all exist together in this world. And um, I got introduced to this idea of sharing where instead of you throwing away what you have or giving it to uh, like a secondhand store, you actually bring it to your community and give it to them for free. And we all trade things. So I got first involved with, I believe it's called it? Free Food. No, it wasn't the Free Food Commune. Uh, it was Atlanta Food Swap. Yes, Atlanta Food Swap. So I got in touch with Atlanta Food Swap. Um, through, re uh, through research online. Um, before then, I had joined a farm share group where it's kind of like a magazine subscription where you pay um, on a consistent basis and they give you things on a consistent basis. Nice. <laughs> so I would give them, you know, money every week and they would give me a box full of produce with, uh, you know, the farm, whatever the farm had, whether it was, you know, a lot of onions, a little bit of potatoes, whatever it was that the farm was growing. And it got me uh, really plugged into regional and seasonal. That's a, a catchphrase is that you eat from your region, what grows in your region naturally, you eat seasonally. So you only eat what's in season. That wasn't working for me. Uh, the seasonal <laughs> part, because I love coconuts. I love, you know, strawberries all year round. And that's just not realistic if you're eating that way. So I joined the Atlanta uh, food swap and introduced me to sharing my food. And I could bring my food that I had in excess or food that I had made and I could trade it with someone else who had whatever they specialized in. So I traded potatoes for baklava. <laughs> I, traded, <laughs> I traded, you know, the, the homemade cheese I made for beef jerky. I, you know, there's... Homemade cheese? Oh, cheese is so easy to make. You'll just, like, once you... I know butter is easy to make. Because that's just shaking milk around. Oh, yeah. Well, but cheese is cheese really easy is... to make, too. Um, what is the cheese? Basic cheese process. Don't go into all okay, of the details. Okay, if you're going basic but... cheese process, you're going to bring the milk to coagulation, which is around 170, cool it down uh, to, like, I think it's, like, off the top of my head, I think it's, like, 70 degrees, something like that. You want it to be cool, still warm for us. And then you introduce the bacteria or the culture for whatever type of cheese that you are making. There's so many, like mozzarella, cheddar, whatever. Introduce that bacteria. Now that the, the, the milk has no other living form in it, there's no competition that's gonna kill the bacteria that you put in. So you let that colonize it, and it just like, it becomes cheese. the cheese. Yes, yeah, so you can strain wow. it, and you can like, make a really dense cheese. But um, in my opinion, no matter how much you strain it in the beginning, it's gonna be a soft cheese, unless you let it completely dry out and age. And then you'll get a sharper cheese. Where do you find the bacteria to introduce to the milk after you've so heated it? So many ways. So many ways. <laughs> Can so, you just go to the grocery store and buy you, bacteria? Yes. It, they sell bacteria right near here. So you can cheese. go into Kroger and just buy bacteria. I don't know about Kroger. I don't go to Kroger that well, much. Health foods? But yeah. Health food stores? Whole foods are like the cell. Like I have some in my freezer right now. You want some bacteria? <laughs> like, I'm going to have mozzarella and cheddar bacteria. I mean, I, I didn't get into cheese until I got into yogurt. Yogurt's way easier um, because you don't have to have the aging process, but it's 11 hours you go from milk to yogurt. Wow. And you can flavor it the way you want. You can strain it and make a Greek yogurt. It's it's really um, something to understand a product 
So it's like bakers understand the science of baking yeah. and how you mix things and proportions. When you start understanding the science of milk and the science of bacteria and colonizations, then it, it really becomes a lot simpler to, to make one thing and make another and make another. So I would, I would make the cheese and <laughs> trade it for things. And um, I started getting really awesome stuff there, but it started me on this how much free stuff can I get and how much can I trade? So I started doing um, doing and going to clothing swaps. And that's where the majority of my uh, my wardrobe comes from now is like there's so many like community stuff like that. And um, then rolling also into preparedness because you can't forget first aid and, you know, what happens if you're in a dangerous situation and Alex is there. I did four years of JROTC when I was in high school. So I had some basic idea of survival skills like okay this is like land navigation this is how you turn your pants into a floaty in case you get dropped in the water this is what you do in case someone's arm breaks when you're you know, on a hike <laughs> yeah that kind of stuff um but then you get certified in first aid AD, cpr and go to conferences of people just like you who want to learn how to be more community focused rustic and prepared for dangerous situations um I went to a convention in Tennessee for the first time, uh, like my first time I went, and I met so many people who are into, you know, how do you get water from the air in case it doesn't rain, or um, how do you, you can do that? It? Yeah, <laughs> you can. You can, and those people will make it. <laughs> how do you identify? So you don't have food? to do the rain dances. No, I mean you can dance, and you will sweat, and there will be rain. <laughs> um, you know, it just. So many people who were on the same path and were thinking the same way I was, and it opened me up to there's an entire society, this like subculture of people who are trying to be more sustainable, more community focused, and more prepared in general. Uh, I will say that the cultures and the bacteria that was definitely after buying products and figuring out that a lot of stuff I bought I could make at home, similar to the cheese and the yogurt. Um, it all started with the dandelion. I used to drink the $7 dandelion tea. <laughs> wow. It was so good. It was dandelion root, and it was just a great morning drink, but at $7 a pop, no. <laughs> I've heard that dandelions are poisonous. You have I don't know heard if that's wrong. a... Okay, that you is have just absolutely a... wrong. Every part of the dandelion is delicious and that's nutritious. That's just an urban tale that I learned in elementary it's school. It's probably then. what they wanted you to think so you wouldn't eat from the, <laughs> the lawn. And I, I was told things like that. I was told, like, oh, don't eat these berries or don't eat berries from outside because you'll get poisoned and the birds will have no food and they'll die. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, so many things parents or adults tell you to make sure that you're safe, you know, since they don't know how to teach your identification. But when I found out that those dandelions that I was drinking in my tea were the same exact dandelions that people pulled up as weeds, I was blown away and almost upset. Like, you have, like, you've scammed me. <laughs> you just gave me weed tea and charged me $7. So do you go around the neighborhood and collect their weeds now? I do. Or? Well, you have to be careful. There's, like, ways to be safe. Like, you don't want to go where they have a lot of pets urinating. And it's not that urine in general is bad because it gets washed away. But what's in pet food isn't always good. And when that decomposes, it can be really harmful. Um, and also people put fertilizers places. It's important to know where you're getting your your foraged goods from and to know, um, you know, what is happening in that area. 
So I started out with a dandelion and I thought, oh, I can never become a plant identifier. I can't be a forager. I don't know anything about edibles in the wilds. You know, I know about you put a seed in the ground and then it grows. Uh, but I learned one plant and then another and then another. And then eventually I was um, holding once a month forage tours around Atlanta. Uh, I still run the Atlanta Forage uh, Society they have on forage Facebook. Yeah. Tours. Yeah. So, and there's. This is all blowing my mind. Yeah. <laughs> There's a mushroom foragers group, which I am not a part of. I that I totally learn. believe. Yeah, I believe I, there are people that just search for mushrooms yeah. looking for certain types of mushrooms. Yeah. You know, chanterelles are awesome. <laughs> Oyster mushrooms are awesome. Shiitake. <laughs> um, so I have not learned mushrooms yet. I, mushrooms are as diverse as humans, so they can take on so many different appearances. Uh, it's really important to know your stuff when you're doing mushrooms. A lot of the stuff I do is... Like, it's like baby stuff. It's, you know, the stuff that's growing in your yard, around your neighborhood. A lot of plants don't look like other plants. Um, there's, like, a few things that, you know, if it were poisonous, you could tell by certain markers. Or just stay away from it if it has a, a poisonous cousin. Um, yeah, so uh, with doing that, I started thinking about what else am I paying for that I don't need to be paying for because it's literally around me for free. Um, or what is it that is so simple to make at home? And I started... Uh, when I started to do like the making stuff at home, I used to buy those. At the time, it was like four dollars. Now I think it's down to three or two something. You can get it the kombucha. Yeah. You know, like the the Synergy brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those jars, and I have a ton of those jars, and I would buy two a day, which would be like eight dollars a day on just you know two beverages, <laughs> like not even water. That's equal to one Starbucks though. <laughs> oh lord! When you start thinking about how much my bill was being run up for just what I consumed. It was ridiculous. So I thought, can I make this drink at home? Turns out I can. It is a living drink. And if you take that Synergy drink, if it's still alive, and um, you add like a, a sweet tea, usually like a green or a black tea, and you put it in the dark with a breathable lid, but still some barrier so flies and dust don't get into it, then a thin single-celled um, membrane will grow on top of it and it'll get thicker and thicker and that is called a SCOBY, S-C-O-B-Y. And it is fantastic. It takes sugar, digests it, and turns it into a large rainbow of vitamin B. So you are essentially growing your own energy drink <laughs> and you can double ferment it and make it just as amazing as it is in the store, sometimes stronger. <laughs> uh, there are other things like bread and, um, at one point, I was collecting rainwater and making all sorts of, like, homemade sodas. And um, I just really love that kind of stuff because it, it makes me feel more connected with society. And when I work, I'm always in front of the computer. So now I'm getting to pull away and, you know, get back in touch with the real world or the <laughs> earth. <laughs> what are some of the top plants that are pretty abundant around that you can just walk down the street oh. and pick up that... People listening might be like, oh, I didn't know you could eat ferns oh, or yeah. thistles or... There's so much. When I watch television shows and they're like, oh, we're all starving to death. I'm like, there's food right there and there and there and there and there. <laughs> it's so upsetting. It's like that um, statistic when I was in high school, uh, what really catapulted me into taking the, the health training and the first aid and stuff was over 70% of people who die from like small things could have been saved if the person next to them knew basic first aid. Basic. If they knew to elevate the legs. 
if they knew that they should have put pressure on the wound or that they shouldn't have pulled the the stick or the knife out like if they just knew that and so with food I feel like everyone should just have a very rudimentary education <laughs> of what is edible around them if you could identify three plants you could probably live <laughs> during an extreme uh, situation and one of them is henbit I'm gonna start naming not just the things that are edible because a lot of things are edible and they don't taste good yeah and I, I'm just like it's got to taste good um <laughs> henbit I love henbit it is that um green plant and I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little technical with you. I'm gonna need you to actually touch the plant so so that you can identify it. But it has a square stem. If you take this plant and break it, it will not be a cylinder. It will be a square. It has um, rings of leaves, so it doesn't have leaves staggering left and right up the plant. It is a full ring of leaves, and then go up an inch and a half, another full ring of leaves. Another full ring of leaves, another inch and a half up. It has purple flowers. Um, so, I mean, I could go outside right, right now. <laughs> it sounds out. really pretty. Like, I don't want to no, the purple, pull the leaves off no. and eat it because it looks too nice. The purple flowers are tiny. They're as tiny as, like... Um, like little lavender flowers? Like your pen. Like the tip of your pen. Oh, wow. Like, they're, they're small uh, purple flowers. They have ten purple flowers on each ring. This is how easy it is to knock... Like, to get the right plant. Like, you're not going to mess it up. It has ten flowers on <laughs> on each ring. Um, it has, like, this um, bubbling dinosaur curve on each leaf. Just look up the, the plant henbit. You will see it. Another one is chickweed. It How do you spell henbit for anybody listening? H-E-N-B-I-T. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's so nice. It's like a, a delicate kale. It's got a little bit of texture on the leaf, which I like anything that mimics the tongue because I feel like... I'm eating it. It's kind of eating me. It's weird, <laughs> but I, I love it. I love the texture. It's a shared consuming experience. Yeah, like we're doing this together. Uh, I love henbit. I've gone to my friend's backyard uh, when she had guests over, and she's like, I don't have anything to make a salad. And I was like, yes, you do. <laughs> we have. A, you have a backyard. <laughs> yeah, she has a backyard full of deliciousness. Uh, chickweed. Oh, I love chickweed. So I'm also going to name things that you can't overeat. Um, there are some things you can overeat. Like, I'm not going to... Go too far into those, but henbit and chickweed are some of my top favorite, just you can see it everywhere. Chickweed, a lot of people do recognize, because uh, I've talked to people in Georgia, and they're like, oh yeah, that's chickweed. It's edible. It's delicious. Um, is it an actual weed, or is that just the name? You no, know, it's, it's, it's considered a weed. It's called chickweed. And it is like a light green plant. If you start seeing it being like a hearty green color, then it's had too much sun exposure, and it's not going to taste that great. Uh, you want it the lighter the green the better because that's got the delicate flavor it tastes like a lettuce i've seen these before it's sorry so, i'm googling yeah, it right i know now. it's so good it's so good i i will pull fistfuls of those and wash them and be like it's so good so you have to i don't want to say have to okay never mind i'm not gonna say have to because you can survive on a lot we obviously have survived on a lot but i will say that it's good to mix in wild greens and wild edibles with your conventional store-bought ones. So your store-bought ones are heavily farmed. They have been raised to be a certain size, a certain nutritional value, um, and they've also been raised to survive in grocery stores. So a lot of reasons why you don't see the things that are outside in your yard in your grocery store is because maybe it just wouldn't survive the packaging or the delivery of it. It doesn't mean that it's got less nutrients. And a lot of times, because they haven't been farmed to death, they haven't been modified so much, um, they have densely more nutrients than a lot of things that we do have in the grocery store. 
So one great example is, um, what is that stuff that grows in the backyard that people are like, don't let it take over? Um, kudzu. Kudzu, yes. Thank <laughs> you. Kudzu. kudzu. Kudzu tastes great. Very nutritious. Very, very, very nutritious. It used to be in American grocery stores, but then it started taking over farms. And It's very hard to find kudzu jelly. I searched all over oh for it, and God. it's very difficult to find, but it's so good. It's so good. It's so good for you, and people shun kudzu. They burn it. They get rid of it, and I'm like, you should be eating it. You've got an abundance of free, highly nutritious food in your backyard. It did used to be in the grocery stores. Um, only reason it's not is because farming it was a pain. I can totally see that, but it comes back so fast, too. Yeah. It's like it will never go away. You... It's not like beans where you have a good season, a mm -hmm. bad season, a good season, bad season. Kudzu's always there. It's, it's it great. It will not leave. Yeah, so chickweed, henbit, kudzu, that's great. Um, and if I were going to say one more thing, ooh, let's get you a, a floral. Right now we've got redbud season. Have you ever eaten redbud? No. Oh, it's look that up. That sounds like a drug. Oh, it's not. It's not. I mean, there are some things you eat and you really feel it. <laughs> but uh, redbud. Talking of mushrooms again. <laughs> yeah, the redbud tree. I think it's um, not too far from being related to a legume family because it does have those bean pods when after it flowers. But it has a pink flower, and once that pink flower blooms, and it's blooming right now, it only blooms for like oh wow I think like yeah, a few pretty. weeks or a month or so. Yeah. yeah eat it. It's like a delicate lettuce with a touch of honey. And it smells good. It's so nice. I've had a whole bowl of it for breakfast. Or I just had a bowl of flowers. <laughs> it is so nice. It's like a unicorn colored tree. It's like pinks and dark pinks and light pinks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, the darker the pink, the more sun it's probably had and the less honey, you know, delicate flavor you're going to have. So you want the lighter pink Yeah, color. that light pink means it has a little bit less sun, which means that it, the sugar hasn't been scorched in it. That is awesome. And then one thing that we also talked about last time was the psychosomatic experiences, <laughs> which totally had me enthralled when you were telling me about it, because, like, you introduced it to me before, it sounds insane. Yeah. So, like you're a crazy person for believing this is something real. You know what? Plants are a gateway drug, you know? You're going to get into <laughs> into looking for rocks and gardening, and then next thing you know, you're at a commune, you're growing bacteria in your house, and... Um, With a psychosomatic... Yeah, but then what happens next? You're, you're getting into water uh, filtration, and you're like, oh, you know what? There's too many negative electrons or positive electrons, and I need to, like balance them out with some negative ones, I need to ground myself. So you're outside, you're doing yoga, you're breathing. And um, what happens? You start thinking about frequencies and wavelengths and quantum physics and you're reading the book The Secret. And, <laughs> <laughs> and eventually you're getting into like conventional medicine and you're thinking like how do people, how do doctors, you know, quantify the effects of depression on the body? How do they really tap into how strong the mind is? And um, how it affects, you know, whatever surgery or procedures they're doing. And you end up at a herbalista uh, free clinic, or like the health fair that they have. And they do all sorts of stuff. They do Reiki, massages, um, sound therapy, all sorts of things that you can just meddle with. And what's great about, like, the herbalista free clinic, which happens every last Wednesday of the month, is that... 
It's all free. You get to try out oh, all wow. these like alternative things for free. Like I, I just finished last Wednesday getting acupuncture done and um, taking like a, an essential oils class. And, <laughs> and so do they keep like tip jars there at least? Or they something? do. Yeah, or you a, can you can put tips hat in there or a violin case or something. To most of the money doesn't come from the people who are there. It comes yeah. from people who are supporting them doing it in general. But going there for free, I feel like I would want to at least give them something if I benefited from Absolutely. it. Absolutely, they're not going to say so. They're no. not okay. So they won't turn me down <laughs> if I hand not, them a twenty. You can take that dollar out, and I'll be sure it'll find a pocket. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I love going there and getting to experience new things. I was really skeptical about the somatic experience. So this is a psychosomatic experience, which means your mind is healing you from within. And I thought, okay, well, I do uh, believe that Reiki can help. I've had energy moving sessions where, um, and this is, I met this woman at a dinner for my friend's birthday. And she's like, I move energy. And she went to school for moving energy. And she had me lay down and... Um, I was feeling things as she was waving stuff around me. I thought, well, maybe she's got like a high magnetism <laughs> in her body. Like, you know, some people are just like, they're prone to getting shocked more than others. Maybe she is able to, you know, affect other people based on her own chemistry. Um, when I went to the somatic experience, so the psychosomatic experience, I was told that there would be no waving hands over your body. In fact, uh, the person who'd be doing the experience would be sitting several feet away from me in a separate <laughs> chair and just talking to me. <laughs> and I thought, this is never going to work. Uh, no, no offense, but even Jesus had to have someone <laughs> touch his cloak. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And I'm, oh my gosh. I just, I was, I was baffled at the idea that she went to a university and paid money for someone to teach her how to talk to people. And she said sometimes she doesn't do talking. She does flashing lights or she shows them like interesting um, pictures like a Warshak's um, ink blot or she will do sounds or whatever. It's like you went to school to do this and people have judgments about me going to art school. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounded ridiculous to me. And honestly, I, I was highly judgmental. Uh, but then... Uh, we sat down and she told me, you know, think of a place where you're safe um, and let's get you to that relaxed point and then we'll start trying things. Um, she did explain that it was not an exact science, that she was going to experiment, she's going to see what works for me and my body and whatever's going on. At the time, I had really bad shoulder pain. I slept on the couch several nights in a row and just like really messed up my shoulder uh, to the point where I couldn't raise it halfway up. And so um, I sat down, I thought about being next to my best friend, holding his hand, and that's when I felt most safe and most relaxed. And I got to that point and I said, okay, I'm there. And she had me figure out where is the surrounding of the pain? Like, where's the perimeter of it? And I, I closed my, my eyes and I tried to search for it in my mind, which is so difficult to really identify where in your body does it really hurt? I had a general idea. I'm like, yeah, my shoulder hurts. But then when I had to sit there and think, what specifically hurts? What area? Get down to the nitty-gritty of where this pain is. It's like when you have that itch that you just can't find. Yeah. It's like, it, I know it's, it's on my back. It's around here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't paying attention close enough to where that pain was. And I, I found the perimeter of all of it. And then she's like, well, let's try to push it out. Let's try to imagine yourself doing that. And that was so hard. It took time to really get my mind away from all the, the thoughts of the day 
and down to just where my body is hurting and focus on that and focus on pushing that pain out. That did not work. It was still throbbing. I was like, oh, it still hurts. I still can't pick it up. And we tried another thing. I don't think that worked. And then the last thing we tried was finding the perimeter of it and then accepting that my body was alerting me that that was hurting and pulling that pain inward and saying, I, I love you. I accept you. It's okay. And I did that and I could feel the perimeter getting smaller and smaller and that pain was going away. In the end, she's like, move your arm around. And I could lift it above my head. And I thought, oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> like, I was like, you are so underrated. <laughs> you need to be in every hospital, every office building. <laughs> It was great. I didn't, for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, I did not have pain in my shoulder anymore. And do you still use this? Do you, I try. Do you come home after a long day? It's like, oh, my feet hurt. I need to settle down. I need to think about my feet. I need to absorb the pain in my feet. And then... I'll tell you, I've tried on numerous occasions, even most recently. And I feel like I really do need a guide because when I did stumble and when we ran into a roadblock, she was able to help me switch gears to another attempt and like we went through three attempts um, I would have just stopped at that first one I didn't know how to transition and then I also didn't know how to clear my mind enough to actually make a perimeter and I tried last week when I had a, um, I had a back spasm uh, and I had to take muscle relaxants and all that but before I took the muscle relaxants I tried to find the pain and my my bots were so scattered I could not build that perimeter again wow and have you been back before, or was it just the one time? It was just or? that one time. Um, so when I started working more, I just didn't have time to keep going back there. And, I, you know, at some point I, I should find another somatic person, but it's just like the timing of are you in pain? Most often no. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when you are, are you thinking clear enough to say, let me go find that person? So my question that was going to lead into that, which you may or may not know the answer to. For different pains, do you have different approaches then? Mm -hmm. Or is it the same approach for any pain in per person? Or does one person have like 17 different approaches depending on where it hurts or? I will say what's great about going to that Herbalista, you know, fair that happens uh, the last Wednesday is that they give you so many options. So I had, I did acupuncture last Wednesday. That was nice. Um, I had pins on my head, pins on my arms. Um, and really with acupuncture, from what I remember, in the way that it was watered down to explain <laughs> it to me, because I really didn't understand how acupuncture worked, um, was that your blood sends, um, you know, your body sends blood in a certain direction and then you put the pin in and it's forced to redirect and that affects other parts of your body. And so it's really this rechanneling of your body, at least temporarily, um, that is really alleviating a lot of the issues that you have or really can help you. Um, similar to pressure points where you're like, you're pushing on something, it's causing a response in your body. And um, with the, the Herbalista Bear, it's able to try sound therapy. There's even like sound waves for your feet. So sending the waves through your feet and then seeing how your body responds <laughs> to each frequency and... You can just try so many things. So for me, pain has always been a multi-approach thing. I do take my herbs first. I think, what am I deficient in? A lot of pain, especially when I was younger, I found a lot of menstrual pain was just that I was uh, deficient in certain vitamins. And when I started taking those vitamins, I was like, wow. I didn't know that, uh, especially for women, your body fluctuates so much that your needs fluctuate. And so if you're taking the same multivitamin like consistently, 
you're not you're not taking care of the fluctuations and so I always start with the herbals and then I'll go to like physical things like yoga stretching a, a hot pad a cold pad um, um, those rubs that you put on your skin uh, and then I'll go to well what do what else do I know from like the experiences I've had at these these alternative fairs or rather traditional fairs <laughs> very traditional and if that doesn't work I'm popping some pills <laughs> So for a parallel for like the layman that for us, including myself, that really don't know much about this, it's almost like having a shelf of different vitamins you can take. So vitamin A does this, mm -hmm. vitamin B does this, D does this, where you just you know, acupuncture will do this, the sound therapy will do this, and you just have to find whatever your body will react to. Yeah. Because it not, doesn't necessarily mean that... Vitamin D works for everybody. Exactly. You have to find the vitamins that work for you. Like lavender. Lavender is widely known to relax the body, and people use it when they're sleeping. But some people get energized with lavender. And so, yeah. My ex would get migraines oh, gosh. from the scent of lavender. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a catch-all. It's similar to medication, where if the doctor tries one medication, it may work, it may not, and then they'll try another one. Yeah. Well, that's good to know for people that are going to now sit at their home with a back pain and be like, <laughs> This isn't working. <laughs> oh, it, it helps to have That's a guide. That's just bunk. <laughs> no, it, it helps to have a guide because we didn't try lights. We didn't try images. We didn't try sound. We didn't try a lot of things. We got to our third thing and that worked. And there are just a plethora of things that you can try. And so having someone who studied all these different variations and how to judge whether one thing needs to be tried over another, is it's, that's a plus. Yeah. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a really quick break again. And we will be back shortly. Nowadays, too many people have too many allergies. Isn't it sickening? Pun intended. What is a healthy person with a great digestive system and no allergies supposed to eat? Introducing the all-new Gluten Nutty Bar. Made of 90% all manufactured ingredients and 10% wheat, nuts, dairy, so delicious, your allergy ring friend will be instantly jealous. This tasty treat is also available in shellfish and pork flavors for non-vegan friendly people. And coming soon, the brand new latex flavor. This product not available in any local health food stores. Welcome back to the Above Average Joe Show. We are going to go ahead and get into our time machine. Our ready, set, life, go time machine. So, Elisa, if you want to go ahead and get in the back seat, I am going to drive for the first part. Yep, already getting cozy. <laughs> go ahead and get your seat buckled in because it can be a bumpy ride. Actually, I don't want my clothes to get wrinkled. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine, but it's your own safety. I'm just warning you. <laughs> I haven't figured out how to completely drive this thing, but here we go! <laughs> oh, where did we end up? Oh, we are on the set of Term Life. Term Life was a movie that never made it to the theaters. It went straight to... Was either Hulu or On Demand? Was one of those paper mm -hmm. subscription movies? <laughs> so it went straight to that. I want to say it was On Demand first, and 
So it was a movie starring Vince Vaughn and Haley Steinfeld. When I watched the movie, I enjoyed it. I liked it. It got a lot of really bad reviews for some reason, but I thought it was interesting. But I got cast in that movie as a car dealer. And they wanted as... Oh, and just a forward, you will never see this scene in the movie. It got completely <laughs> cut out. <laughs> so when you're listening to this, you're like, what is he talking about? That was never in the we movie. We are trusting you right now. <laughs> yeah. You're trusting me that we actually filmed this, that this actually took place, because there is no evidence of it, other than my name is in the credits for this scene. <laughs> so I got chosen to be the hero car dealer, which means that being the hero, you are at the, you're the dealer at the table with the star. And in the scene, Vince Vaughn was the only star that was in the scene. He had a co-star that was at another table off on the other side of the room. They made googly eyes and stuff like that. Not relevant to what I'm talking about, though. <laughs> so we were told at the beginning of this day, do not talk to Vince Vaughn. He's in character. He needs to stay mellow. He needs to stay concentrated. So... Don't talk to him. Don't start conversations. You're going to be sitting next to him. You're sitting across from him. Don't even ask him how he's doing just because he needs to concentrate, which totally makes sense. A lot of artists are that way. They've got lines to remember. They've got actions to remember. They've got all this stuff to remember. But with all of that, he has conversations with us in the middle of every take because what else is he going to do? He's sitting there. He does his lines. He's not just going to stare at us. So he starts asking us different questions, like, what do you do in real life? What do you do for steady income? Because most of the background people that were at that table, that's not their full-time job. Mm -hmm. And so we're just having normal conversations. And this was right after Anchorman 2 came out. And he was asking everybody at the table, it's like, hey, did you guys see Anchorman 2? I was only in it for what I think is only like a few minutes, but I was just curious on if you guys, guys liked the movie. Everybody at the table that spoke English, <laughs> there was this old lady at the very end of the table that was supposed to be this amazing card player, mm -hmm. did not speak a licking, lick of English at all. She had a translator with her in case we needed her to do something, but she had this great, wonderful look. So she was not having the conversation with us, but everybody else at the table was. And so once he asked how what we thought of Increment 2... Everybody at the table, other than me and the lady who didn't speak English, was like, oh my gosh, it was so good, it was great, it was wonderful. Uh -huh. and they're all like saying all these very, very positive things. And he's looking at me like, you're not answering the question. Mm -hmm. What's wrong? I could see it in his eyes. And as soon as everybody stopped, he's like, so what did you think? I was like, eh, it was okay. <laughs> Just totally being honest. Mm -hmm. He was like, really? I was like, yeah, it wasn't as good as the first one. I thought it was still funny. I felt like we recorded a lot more humorous parts that just didn't make it in. Because you have to pick and choose. Yeah. And it all has to flow. And even though this was funny, it may disrupt the flow of the movie. And so a lot of the parts that were hilarious just didn't make it. Yeah. But on the other hand... Just in case you're wondering, while we were watching it, as soon as you shown up on screen, pulled off that helmet, the entire auditorium stood up and standing ovation for you <laughs> once you were in the movie. 
And he looked at me. He he was trying not to smile. Yeah. <laughs> but he was like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So it wasn't a complete loss of a movie to him. It was very redeeming that at least he knew he was shining on yeah. screen, which he did. He did a great job in he did a great job in both movies in that character. So that was my experience on set with him. Um, yeah, and like I said, if you don't trust me, you can look in the credits. <laughs> I am the very last credit. It says card dealer, I think, or something like that. <laughs> Joseph Nelson or Joseph C. Nelson. Um, but my name is on there in a scene that I never got into the movie. <laughs> and I bought the DVD with oh the Blu-ray, hoping it was in the extra deleted no. scenes. And there is no evidence of that even happening, ever. I wonder what percentage of the sales is just people who worked on the movie. <laughs> I always think about that. <laughs> cool, awesome. Let's go ahead and jump back in the machine real quick. Because I think we're going to go somewhere that you want to tell us. Well, this time I'm going to wear my seatbelt. I'm not going to mess up. I've got and way gonna, more wrinkles without it. I will let you drive. Okay, hold on. Um, I'm going to put my glasses on. And here are the keys. Go ahead and take those. Put those in. Oh, okay. So is this one of the ignitions in the side or at the bottom? I don't know. You figure it out. Let's go. Five, four, three, two. Much smoother ride than what I had. I like that. <laughs> you know what? I only have wrinkles on one side. <laughs> <laughs> That's a plus. That's always a plus. Gotta stay fashionable. Okay, so we're here. Where are we? What's going on? We are at Floyd County Productions. Uh, I am at work right now as an animator working at a studio. So um, I'm at work. I've shaved my head because my um, partner at the time thought that I would look better with a pixie cut. And How short are we talking? I'm talking about buzzed with only like a little bit of top. So this is right after Lupita Nyong'o. Um, was it Nyong'o? Yeah. Lupita Nyong'o had yeah. just uh, won an Oscar. And um, People Magazine named her like one of the top beauties of the world. And I decided that in solidarity, I would get her haircut. Nice. So I, and I also got my hair burned by a hairstylist the week earlier. So that was just coincidental. <laughs> but yeah, I, so it was in solidarity. I, I had my head shaved. And um, just dang it, that week H. John Benjamin comes in the studio. <laughs> and H. John Benjamin is? He is the main voice of Archer. I was a huge fan of him when he was working on home movies. I was a kid listening to him and thought, what an amazing voice. He also is the lead character on Bob's Burger. Uh, he does a lot of voices and he's amazing and everyone loves him. He's a huge superstar. So when he comes in, I'm thinking, dang it, why do I have my head shaved? <laughs> uh, so I, I just, I have to work. We're not allowed to really interact with, you know, big names that come in because we need to be focused. We're getting paid to work. And then they need to focus and not feel like they're going to get harassed when they come in the office. So he goes into the office with the executive producer. And then at some point they come out and they call for me. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going into a room with H. John Benjamin. I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, they ask if um, I'm open to doing a little promo skit. It's not like it's going to be what people see, but I'm going to be a stand-in because Asia Tyler was not able to make her flight in early enough to do the skit, so I would be a stand-in. And I thought, okay, yeah, this sounds amazing. You know, I love Asia Tyler. I've been watching her since I was a kid. 
and uh, um, I would love to stand in, especially since I just found out that we have a very similar body type. Nice. Um, you know, she's only one inch taller. Her shoe's only a smidge larger. That's it. Like, we're, uh, aside from that, we were right on the money. Uh, they asked for me to take my hat off because I wore a hat to work that day. We had it <laughs> um, Archer Live. Uh, that that little um, that theater act that goes on where they're on panel and they read a bunch of scripts. Yeah, that was happening that night with all the voice actors. And so I wanted to look really nice and I knew my head was buzzed and I didn't really know what to do. So I put a lot of tiny curlers in my hair and the, the little tuft at the top so that it wouldn't stick up and look ridiculous, that it would curl back and look like I cared about my appearance. And um, they asked me to take my hat off when I was in the room. And I was like, oh, I can't. I have a lot of curlers under here. My boss <laughs> knew my head was shaved. So he's like, what? <laughs> what kind of like, nonsense is she saying? And he's like, well, can we see? And I took it off. And it was literally I just bought these like super like think about spaghetti noodle thin curlers. <laughs> and I had like 20 of them in the, in oh. the uh, uh, two by four inch <laughs> patch on top of my head. And I remember H. John just playing with him and be like, whoa, it's like the tiniest <laughs> curlers. And I took him out and my curls were even smaller. They're like pen springs. But I thought they looked beautiful, like little waves. Aww. Uh, so I took them all out and I agreed to go and do the skit. And they gave me this cop costume. So I got to go shopping that afternoon with one of the coworkers and find like this police uniform and uh, then come back into the studio and do this skit with H. John, and he was just the funniest person I've ever met in my life. Just there's no human being who is as funny as this person. I would just, it would be really hard for you to tell me that there was someone funnier than him. Every word out of his mouth was hilarious. His delivery, his timing, just his inflections. It was so funny. And I was supposed to be really stoic and focused during this whole skit, but it was taking every... <laughs> drop within me not to laugh and there's sometimes I kind of broke down but I wanted to impress my boss and impress H. John with you know how professional I could be but it was it was not gonna happen he's hilarious so it's like those Saturday Night Live skits where they're trying to keep a straight face but oh. Chris Farley just makes them crack oh, up he's so funny. they can't say their lines and they're covering their faces and he's and... precious looking oh my gosh I see him on TV and I think okay you know this is a, this is a human being he looks like a decent human being but then you see him, and he's, like, as attractive as a puppy. Just, like, <laughs> his eyes just get big, and he's smaller, so he has to Aww. look up to me. And it's just, like, he's just so adorable. You just want to take his cheeks. It's just, it's really hard to resist his appeal. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get back on the time machine. We will go back to our current time. Um, meanwhile, we will let our guest take a break and listen to one of our sponsor ads. Awesome. Can you take the keys this time? Only because after that last ride, my left side is body. The left side of my body's a little numb. Yeah, uh, that's fine. Cool. This episode brought to you by. suspense. Thanks 
you again for everybody for tuning in and listening to us on our wonderful podcast. Thank you, Elisa, for joining us. You have been a wonderful guest. You've given us a lot of information and a lot of craziness that (laughs) a lot of people would be like, yeah, I don't know so much about it. But they'll look into it and be like, holy crap, this is real. Yeah, you know, look into it. (laughs) So thank you for taking time, spending it with us, and have a good day. Thank you again to our very special guest, Elisa Lewis. The Above Average Show Show is written and produced by me and all music composed and or arranged by yours truly. You can like us on Facebook and don't forget to check out another podcast I co-host, The Extra Unordinary and other great media content by Moon Possum Productions at moonpossum.com.